<coughs> Good afternoon. So this is uh, the last talk um, on the five controlling powers, the five uh, indriyas and the balas. <coughs> five controlling factors and the five powers. As we mentioned, the five powers are the um, uh, uh, reinforced five controlling uh, elements. So, um, number five is called wisdom. Um, but um, before I start talking about that, Whoops. Oh, that's not right. <laughs> Sorry. N no, it's at nine o'clock. <laughs> I'll, I'll figure it out. We stop at, at 10. <laughs> so I'm going to, um, you know, I never answer questions. I just um, respond to them. You know, in Zen, uh, the teacher, in, in a, in a uh, um, traditional Zen practice, the teacher doesn't um, answer questions, but only gives you problems. <laughs> We're supposed to um, have our own experience. If the teacher answers your questions, then you think, oh, now I know. Uh -uh. You just think you know, because the teacher told you something. So uh, my teacher, Suzuki Roshi, said, uh, we make a mistake on purpose called, being, called uh, giving you a talk, a lecture. Uh, you should not think that the lecture is the thing itself. Um, and at the end of most talks, he would say, uh, you don't have to remember what I said. The important thing is that you were there, or that you are here, or that you are sitting zazen while I'm speaking. And you're not mulling it over in your mind. You're just hearing. You're just letting hearing hear. I'm not asking you to do that. Um, uh, I think that, that that's a, this is uh, an important part of Zen practice. When I used to see my teacher with a question, I would come to him, you know, I'd be having some problems, and I'd bring him my problem. And we'd sit down and talk, and then he would say something which kind of compounded the problem. <laughs> and then he would laugh, and he'd say, I'm sorry, you came to me with a problem, and I just gave you a bigger problem. And then we would both laugh. And then I would go away and deal with it. Something 
that works. Um, so we had this wonderful relationship of him giving me problems and me going away and dealing with them. Um, so that's, you know, Zen style. I think the difference in Vipassana is that you really want to answer the, the, the students' problems. And that's just a different style, you know. I mean, I can't say what it is. I have, this is my first experience with Vipassana. Um, so when I say, I don't answer your questions, I don't say that I give you a bigger problem, but I might. <laughs> but I simply respond. So um, I'm going to just kind of, you know, uh, respond to a couple of these questions because you wrote them down. I mean, we might as well do something with them. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you writing them down. So, you know, when somebody gives me a glass of water, even, I'm not even if I'm not thirsty, I always drink some because of the... Um, <laughs> today I am thirsty, though. I don't want to ignore the gift. So Gil often says how important his Zen training has been to his practice. Is there any way that Vipassana has informed or <laughs> influenced your practice of Zen? Um, I can't say because um, uh, I have, this is my first time, you know. So I won't really know until uh, I let that digest for a while. Um, yeah, I have, I have not yet digested this practice, but I have to say I've enjoyed every moment of it. And I uh, enjoy all of you and sitting here with you and you looking at me and me looking at you. And <laughs> 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 um, uh, the food has been good, everything, you know, like the schedule's <laughs> good. Um, I have one thing I have, uh, I have some questions. Uh, one is, in your walking meditation, you know, to freely walk about. To me, it looks like everybody's wandering, but <laughs> our practice is, is of Kenyan, you know. It's like the difference between a horse race and a snail race, or a cricket race. <laughs> in the horse race, you have a lot of big field, you know. And in, in a snail race, you can find you're walking to a very small space, and it takes a long time. So it's a very concentrated um, state. It's, it's exactly zazen on the cushion, except that one is moving. So we have this mudra instead of this one, shashu. And so you're doing something with your hands. Your hands are, in zazen, every single part of your body is participating equally. This is what Zazen posture is about. Every single part of your body is totally involved. So we say it's total dynamic activity. That's how well, our expression for Zazen, total dynamic activity. I think in Zazen is relax. Relaxation is a part of total dynamic activity. So that's okay. But 
and when we walk, it's the same. So I, I notice people walking kind of like our um, uh, kinhin, but they take big steps. So you could do kinhin like we do if you only took small steps, which is a half a step at a time. We do. So when you lift your foot, you, you lift your foot when you inhale. You lift it with the inhale and you put it down with the exhale. So that's one step and one breath. It can be two breaths or three breaths. It doesn't matter. That makes it slower or quicker. So you lift your foot with the breath and put it down with the breath. Then you lift the foot with the breath, put it down with the breath. And half a step is when the, uh, your heel is, is e even with the instep of the other. And it's, it's, it's sazen, except that it's moving. It's moving without, it's non-moving by moving, or <laughs> moving by not moving. So it's somewhere in between moving and not moving. Um, uh, some people really don't like it. <laughs> uh, sometimes we walk quickly, you know, that's another kinhin. But uh, slow kinhin actually is more concentrated. And it's just exactly like Zazen. And to keep your eyes open and keep your posture straight. And you don't need much room. So you don't have to do that. I just wanted to tell you what I do and what and what I I wanted to say this to people, but everybody you know, I, everybody seems to be doing their own thing. <laughs> uh, we do the same thing. That's a big difference between Vipassana and Zen. In Zen, we all do the same thing. In Vipassana, pretty much, you do uh, the same thing sometimes, but you do your own thing at other times. And I can't criticize that. That's just a different way. Partly because Zen is to take away your will. It's <laughs> 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 to take away your own decisions. Which means that it's, it's you're free of um, uh, discriminating thought as much as possible, because discriminating thought means I would like to do this rather than that. So um, it takes away your choice, it makes you a robot, but uh, it takes away your so you have to do something, and then you have to be able to um, accept what is, instead of deciding to do something else. So this is, um, I'm unfamiliar with spoken Japanese, me too. Which two forms of samadhi were we discussing in a practice discussion? I don't remember that, but there are two forms. There are many forms, actually. There are a lot of forms of samadhi. We have names for them. Uh, um, Self-fulfilling samadhi, which is jiju 
zamai. And um, so that's one form. Jijuyu zamai is uh, what Master Dogen used to um, express uh, the uh, Tathagata's samadhi. Um, Jijuyu means self-fulfilling or self-joyous. You can say it either way. Self-fulfilling samadhi or joyous, self-joyous samadhi. Now this is something for yourself. Uh, there's also called tajuyu zamai. Tajuyu means uh, for others. So there's jijuyu for yourself, tajuyu which is for other, which is other samadhi. So, jijuyu includes both. What we do for ourselves is what we do for others. So we don't just do something for ourselves. Um, our practice is never for ourselves. As soon as we have self selfish practice, um, the teacher hits you with a stick. That's the main reason the teacher hits you with a stick, is when you have selfish practice. So, uh, my teacher said, the real practice, the real reason for practice, he never said that, but really, but I'm saying, I'm counter, I'm paraphrasing, is non-selfishness. He would say, you people don't realize how selfish you are. So, that was his main focus for our practice, is to let go of selfishness. So this is why everybody does the same thing together. I want to do, I, I'd rather stray off and do this. He called that selfishness. Thinking of something for yourself. Hermit practice is not um, uh, encouraged in Japan, although there are hermits, of course, but it's not encouraged because it's you're doing something for yourself, just for yourself. So th this influences the Japanese um, culture, actually, because people always do things together, and the one that stands out gets knocked down. I think this is a kind of culture of, where, uh, of self-preservation. Chinese culture, Japanese culture, most cultures that are old cultures are keep themselves together uh, by everybody conforming to the culture so that um, every, everybody is supporting everybody else. So um, the practice that I was introduced to and have always been doing is the practice where everybody supports everybody else. It doesn't mean that we should not have our own way of doing things. But uh, I remember we would do, the bell would ring after Zazen, everybody would get up and do, start doing Kinyin and somebody would still be sitting there, you know, oh this feels so good, I'm going to continue. Get off the start, get off the tongue. When you do zazen, when we do zazen, everybody does zazen. When we do kinhin, everybody does kinhin. You don't do your own special practice. 
<coughs> so just this, uh, the understanding. Um, well, I'm going to get back to Dijuyu Samai, Dijuyu Samadhi. So the practice we we receive the practice. Um, what we zazen for us is receiving Buddhist teaching. When we sit in zazen, we receive Buddhist teaching. That's what we do. And then when we get off the cushion, we express Buddhist teaching. We become a vehicle for Buddhist teaching. You say, well, what is Buddha teaching you? <laughs> uh, it's not like, you know, he's pouring stuff into your head. It, but we receive Buddha's teaching through, through practice, uh, through zazen. That's why we sit. Well, I mean, one reason why we sit. And then we express Buddha's teaching, which is the teaching of, we receive Buddha's wisdom, and then we express Buddha's wisdom as compassion. So wisdom, uh, the uh, expression of wisdom, is through compassion. Someone said, well, how does compassion arise? Well, it arises through wisdom. Wisdom we call pragya, P-R-A-J-N-A. People say, oh, prajna, prajna paramita. Well, that's because, you know, it's okay, we're English. I mean, we're Americans. But I once had a, uh, an Indian, uh, East Indian Swami, come to our zendo, but way back there. And uh, he was so elated that we had this place of doing meditation and practicing and chanting the Prajnaparitas, Prajnaparitas Sutra. He said, but you don't call it, it's not Prajna, it's Pragna. <laughs> and I said, Pragna. Pragna. And I said, oh, Pragna. He said, no, no, Pragna. <laughs> So, <laughs> anyway, I don't say prajna. I, I can't do that. I say pragna, or for whatever, whether it's good or bad, right or wrong, I say it that way. So he would accept that. So it's pragna paramita. Pragna, uh, pragna is the wisdom of emptiness, the wisdom of ultimate emptiness. So that's a kind of introduction. So here's another one. What do you mean by awareness if it is not the same as consciousness? Well, yeah, awareness is consciousness. There's no awareness without consciousness. So uh, when we talk about consciousness, when I talk about consciousness, I like to talk about the uh, eight or nine levels of consciousness. Um, in the Mahayana, in uh, Yogacara school, they developed a model of consciousness, which are the eight levels and the ninth level of consciousness. And if I have time, I'll talk about that, because it's very important. Um, does the rock have consciousness? Is is it something that is experienced or achieved? It's just experienced. Our experience is through consciousness, of course. And rocks have rock consciousness. I, I'm not a rock, so I can't tell you. 
<laughs> if, I, if, I, if I said yes or no, my teacher would say, have you ever been a rock? But if you've ever watched Sesame Street, you will know that rocks talk to each other. <laughs> and they say, I know what you're thinking about. <laughs> and the other rock says, oh, I'm a rock. I don't think very much. <laughs> So that's my answer to that one. <laughs> ah, this morning you spoke about extending light and love to sentient beings. Katagiri, Katagiri Roshi was one of our uh, teachers when I was studying uh, with Suzuki Roshi. And uh, then he w became the uh, teacher of the Minnesota Zen Center and died. So Katagiri would, um, uh, this morning you spoke of extending light and love to sentient beings. Katagiri would also speak to us as extending our attention and respect to the inanimate objects, such as chairs, books, cups, by attending to their characteristics and needs. And so, the, uh, 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 if you have time, would you speak to this aspect of Soto Zen practice? Yes. Um, respect for things. Um, our practice is centered around respect for things. You know? So when we, w uh, in the Zendo, we, en we bow when we enter the Zendo, in respect for the z for the space. And then we walk to our seat and bow to the cushion. When we bow to the cushion, we're bowing to all the ancestors that came before us who made our practice possible. And then when we turn around and bow out, we bow to the whole universe. So that's an example. I remember uh, we moved into this big uh, uh, Jewish woman's uh, um, young women's uh, hostel on Payne Street in San Francisco. And um, uh, usually the Zendo is upstairs, but because of the configuration of the building, you put this, the, the um, uh, Zendo downstairs and the kitchen was above. And people would, you know, they get, they, they, um, take their food, and they lay down, and then they with a chair. When you sit down, you lift the chair, not make any sound. And when you sit down, not make any sound. So respect for the chair. You don't sit on a table. A table is made to be have a use. It's not a chair. So don't sit on the table. Sit on the chair because that's, the, that's what a chair is for. And you respect the chair as being a chair. You respect the floor as being the floor. 
you <laughs> we had this mokugyo. Mokugyo is like a in the shape of a fish, even though you wouldn't recognize that, <laughs> with a couple of dragons with a ball in their mouth. And we use it at the beater. Bong, 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 trip, dong, kanji, zai, bo, And he'd say, you know, if you hit that, stop hitting mokugyo, because it may have a heart attack. So you have respect for things means you handle everything with respect. That's the practice. You respect everything. When you walk on the floor, you put your foot down, the front of the foot, so you don't make any sound when you walk. Not people, boom, 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 boom. You know what we have uh, when we eat uh, in zendo. Um, we have bowls, and we put ourselves in the position, and there's a meal board in front of the top, and then we have our nesting bowls that are wrapped in a cloth. We open the bowls. We do a lot of chanting before we do that and after we do that, and then the servers come with the food, and they put the food in the bowls, and we eat the food. We do a lot of chanting in between, and then we, they come around with the water, put the water in bowls, we wash the bowls, wrap them up again, and we're ready for the next meal. We don't have to go to the kitchen and wash the bowls. They're all washed. Everything's done very efficiently. So how we take care of the bowls, how we take care of the orioki, how we lay, everything's laid out. This is why Soto Zen is, is so, it's not meticulous, it's just carefully done. Everything is carefully done. And I remember Suzuki Roshi, once we were sitting around, you know, with people, and somebody uh, uh, brought some tea bowls from Japan, and we were passing the tea bowls around. You know, everybody got a chance to look at them, and the tea bowls. And I was looking at the tea bowl. He said, "No, no, put it down. Put it down on the floor when you look at it. Don't hold it up. You want to be ca- careful." You don't want to drop, even if you drop the bowl, it would not be nice. So you want to be very careful. It's over-careful, right? I mean, sure, you know, we pick up bowls all the time, we don't drop them. But there's something very, you know, he's giving me a lesson. He gave me that kind of lesson. Um, so we say we, we take care of um, our bowls like we take care of our head. The large... Uh, eating bowl. We have five bowls for, for priests, but we only use three of them here. Then they all nest very beautifully. It's a great, it's, it's beautiful. But the big bowl is called Buddha's head. So we treat the bowl like Buddha's head. And we treat the meal board like Buddha's tongue. <laughs> so you don't walk on it. And you treat it very carefully. So everything is done in the zendo when we eat. The, the, the meal boards are wiped. The servers come in, they pay re- re- respect to the food. And when you eat that meal, it's, it's the most common food, but it's, it tastes like a meal for the king. Just the way everything is done, and the attention, and uh, the carefulness, um, it, it just makes the, the eating such a, a wonderful event. You feel deep appreciation for everything. 
So how to appreciate everything? This is uh, pragya. Suzuki Roshi uh, gave us the simplest practice, everyday practice. Everything that we do is um, uh, uh, um, done with uh, attention and care. And it, this expresses pragya, our um, uh, respect and compassion. This um, one says, uh, when, you are, when you see a student and recognize he or she changed, remember I said something about that? I said sometimes, you know, I'll see a student and I can see they've changed just by the way they walk or subtle sign. And, uh, and then, um, have you also changed? <laughs> Everything is changing all the time. So in that sense, yes. But someone has to stay steady while the other changes. So I would say, no. <laughs> if you don't stay steady, you can't see the change. <laughs> so, oh, any suggestions for what to do when the mind torments? with all kinds of thoughts. This is unusual for me until periods during the last three years of a kind of dark night of this midlife soul. I used to think the mid midlife was um, around 70. <laughs> um, but people tell me it's 40 and 50. My God, when I was 40 and 50, I was running all over the place. <laughs> but um, we do come to a crisis in our life at some point, in various crises. Um, I don't know what to say about that. Um, we're tormented by our thoughts. We, you know, are tormented by our thoughts. I, I can remember coming to Sashin's when I was in my 40s, 50s, and, you know, a lot of torment going on. And our policy was just sit with it. You know, that's always been our policy. Just sit. Nobody explained what you do this and do that, you know because you have to figure it out. Nobody can really help you. We can give you hints, we can help you think about, it's nice, you know, if you can express yourself, but often the stuff that's going on deep in us, we don't want anybody to hear, right? And so it just keeps going on, rumble, rumble, and mm, mm, returning, so I 
we've all experienced that in one form or another. Um, sometimes the best thing to do is go away. But if you want to stay, you just sit and let that happen. Just let the thoughts come, let them go. Let if you try to stop it, it doesn't work. If you don't like it, you are tormented. But at some point, it's just like the pain in your legs. The pain in your mind, the pain in your emotions, it's just like the pain in your legs. As soon as you don't like it, you suffer. This is the way it is. What's the difference between uh, pain and suffering? They're not the same, although they are associated. Pain is just a sensation. Suffering is when you don't like it. Think about it. Pain is just a sensation. It's well, I have this sensation. Now I have this sensation. Uh-oh, now I have this sensation. <laughs> how do I get out of that? As soon as you say, how do I get out of that, it's become suffering. It's the same with the stuff in your mind. So just, you know, enjoy it. It's like the scenery in your life. We say the scenery is just going by. It's like riding in a train, and the scenery is going out. But we grab onto it, you know. We grab onto it. So it's an opportunity. When all this stuff is going on, it's an opportunity to practice letting go. But you see, it's me. It's mine. It's like the pain in your legs. It's like me, my legs are hurting. That's not so. Just painful legs sitting on a cushion. There are just painful legs sitting on a cushion. But we claim them as mine. Because we have a me and a mine. There are three people. Me, myself, and I. <laughs> and uh, so, um, I could start talking about consciousness now. Who experiences and who dislikes and who likes? Who is it? Where is our ego? Do you know where your ego is? We talk about ego a lot. Where is your self? If we actually point to yourself, no, it's not any of those places. So, let me talk about the eight levels of consciousness. The first five are seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. These are the sense apparatus that uh, are called the doorways of perception. Huxley called them the doorways of perception. That's a good term. Because through these doorways, we receive all the information. We receive the information through our eyes. We receive information through our nose, through our taste, through our um, hearing, and through our touching. And all these, um, uh, this information is 
comes through the doorways. In, in, order, for, in order to have a, a site, there has to be an object, an organ, and a consciousness. This is basic Buddhism. An organ, like my eye. The eye does not see. We all know that the eye doesn't see. The eye is the organ that allows consciousness to see through the subject or the object. So, there's the object, the eye, and consciousness. And consciousness says, because we've learned to speak and think, consciousness says, oh yes, this is the beater for the bell. It's not the beater for the bell. I don't know what it is, frankly, but I call it the beater for the bell because of its, its use for me. The ant does not call this the beater for the bell. My dog would not think that at all. He would <laughs> <laughs> so consciousness receives these, this information. So this, the, the sixth level of consciousness, manovijnana, vijnana means consciousness, is the consciousness that differentiates between seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. It says, oh, I s this is seeing. It doesn't say, I see. It says, this is seeing. This is t tasting. This is smelling. This is touching. And so that's knowledge of called consciousness. Consciousness of um, sensory consciousness. That's where it happens, is in that sixth level. And then there's, an I'm going to skip the seventh level. The eighth level is the seedbed called alaya. It's the seedbed of all everything we've ever thought, done, or experienced. Everything that we've ever thought, done, or experienced is, is registered there in, the, in our computer called the um, alaya. Alaya means seedbed, something like that. Repository the bank. And when we, um, and, and it's like uh, whatever we do deposits a seed. And then w it, when uh, we do something over and over again, there are more and more seeds and it's called perfuming. Every time we do an act that has a seed in the seed ba in the bank, we, um, it, it activates the seed and Pretty soon we have what we call habit energy. So some areas of the, of the seed bank uh, have lots and lots of seeds. <laughs> some don't have any, uh, or many. And so, but uh, the seed bank is always producing new seeds through our activity. Um, and this is called being it on the wheel, right? We do our activity, it deposits the seeds, and then it sprouts the seeds, and then it de uh, activates the seeds, so it's a wheel. So then there's the seventh consciousness, which is called manas. And that's a conveyor. It conveys all the information from uh, uh, the sixth consciousness to the eighth, so that we know the eighth consciousness, that, that this, uh, the information goes that way. And then the information comes back. And the seventh consciousness is supposed to be the conveyor. But the conveyor is like the office boy, right? 
it doesn't have a job, a high-level job. <laughs> so I, this is my, my description. The office boy goes into the boss's office. He sits down in the boss's chair. He opens the drawer. He takes out a cigar, lights up the cigar, and says, now I'm the boss. And then he picks up the phone and starts telling everybody what to, you know, all the other uh, parts, what to do. So he's really kind of stupid and, and uh, um, ignorant and imaginative. And, he, and his name is Ego. So ego, actu you know, s ego actually has a job, but he's not doing the job he should be doing. He does it kind of on the side of conveying the information, but he's also pretending to be the boss. So this is, and his name is myself. The, uh, the seventh is called various things. It's important to have this ego, but the problem is it should not be in control. Sometimes you read in the book, it says, cut off the ego, no ego. But you can't do that. There has to be some ego. You have to control the ego, or not let the ego be in control. And the ego gets way out of control. Our egos get way out of control. So um, when the ego gets out of control, then we get into trouble. And then we look for some way to control the ego, even though we don't know that's what we're looking for. But the ego... So let's... And then there's another level of consciousness called... Uh, Amala, which is the ninth, which is our essence of mind. We call it Buddha nature, or emptiness, or essence of mind. <coughs> and uh, or Buddha. <laughs> so uh, we are ego. We we are consciousness. We are self, but we're also Buddha. But it's, um, uh, so we're part, as my teacher used to say, we're half, half ordinary, which means ego, and we're half Buddha. So we're both Buddha and ordinary. So that's our salvation, is that we're actually both Buddha and ordinary, and they're really the same thing. So how do we access Buddha when we're ego? How do we activate or ac access our true self? How do we do that? We do that so uh, at some point in our life we start looking and we find a practice called Buddha Dharma. And then we find a practice called sitting, meditation, so forth, right? So what that does is makes us aware that there is some, our nature is Buddha, 
our true nature is Buddha, and we don't have to be bossed around by our ego, ourself. And one of the tenets of Buddhism is no self. There is no self. Well, what does that mean that there's no self? But I'm a self. How can I not be a self if I am a self? That's a big question. What is it that's born and die, dies? Is the ego. When we talk about birth and death, what is b born and dies is the ego. So in Buddhism, we talk about no birth, no death. There's simply continuation. So the um, ancient Buddhists, when they were trying to figure out, they, they realized they wanted to worship Buddha, but they realized that they couldn't worship a person. That, I mean, that's not, you know, it's not high enough. So they divided the Buddha into three bodies. The Dharma body, the wisdom body, and the transformation body. So the, the, the Dharma body, the essence body, is called Dharma Kaya. Kaya means body. The essence body, the ninth consciousness. The wisdom body, um, pragya, and uh, the transformation body, which is the person. We are transformation people. We're always in a, in a process of transformation. So the embodiment of Buddha is the transformation body. So when we uh, talking about Shakyamuni Buddha, we're talking about the transformation body. When we talk about Buddha's wisdom, we're talking about the wisdom body. And when we talk about the essence, this is, uh, uh, essence is um, uh, the most fundamental. Our fundamental nature is the essential body, which is, has no special shape or form, but uh, is the basis of all shapes and forms. It's called emptiness. And in the Prajna Paramita Sutra, we say all forms are the forms of emptiness. Emptiness is the emptiness of all forms. That which is form is emptiness. That which is emptiness form. The same is true of feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness. They are all empty. And the dharmas are also empty. Empty means empty of their own nature. And the sutra says, the mark of all dharmas is emptiness. Mark means characteristic. So dharmas are all, th uh, the dharmas which are the dharmas of our physical and mental constituents. These are all dharmas. But the Dharma realm is huge. So, but the Buddhists talk about the hundred Dharmas or seventy-five Dharmas of the, our, all our feelings and thoughts and, and so forth. I don't want to go into that. But um, the Dharmas are all empty in their own nature. Meaning, that if you, the characteristic, or the mark of fire is hot. 
the characteristic or the mark of water is wet, right? So what the main characteristic of all dharmas is emptiness. That's the fundamental characteristic. So everything is empty of its own nature, which means basically interdependence. Because nothing has its own inherent nature, everything exists interdependently with everyone, everything else. So that's what we understand in our, uh, that's our understanding, as you know. Interdependence is Buddha. So uh, we are all Buddha because we are all dependent, in the, we all belong to the same, as uh, um, Yasutani used to say, we all belong to the same nose hole society. Nose hole. <laughs> we all have the same characteristics. <laughs> um, so, in order to be free of um, ego, in order to be free of self-centeredness, there has to be some change. Ego has to undergo some change. So, there's a term called paravritti. <coughs> paravritti means turning, rotating. So, we don't say that ego is cut off. We say it is turned, transformed. Trans, uh, you know, we, uh, instead of getting rid of and so forth, we talk about transformations. Transformation means the same energy that goes into being angry, it goes into being kind. It's the same energy. It's just a matter of where you, wh how it's turned, and how it's transformed. So transforming the energy f of anger into compassion is called practice. So, what is the energy that that turns um, when when uh, um, uh, the, the eight consciousnesses are transformed. They're called the four wisdoms, the four prajñas. So, when the eight consciousnesses are turned, the alaya, the seedbed consciousness, is called the great round mirror consciousness. Or, um, yes. The, I'm sorry, the great round mirror wisdom. The wisdom of a mirror. A mirror uh, reflects everything just as it is. You walk across the mirror, it reflects you just as you are, without interpretation. So this is called bare attention, seeing without interpretation. Did you ever find yourself walking down the street and you look in a store window and you say, who's that? Oh, that's me. My God, I didn't know I looked like that. And then you look again and you say, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> or you look in the mirror in the morning and you say, who's that? And then you, mm. oh yeah, 
I'm pretty handsome. <laughs> so we distort what we see. We're always distorting what we see. And we want to see something in a certain light, we can do that through, through distortion, mental distortion. We do it all the time. So we see things the way we want to see them, and then we interpret them the way we want to interpret them, and so on. Pretty good. soon we get lost. To see everything as it really is, is um, rare, because we're always seeing things through our partiality. Um, uh, in Zen we call this a tambankan. A tambankan is someone who is carrying a big board on their shoulder. And they can see over here, but they can't see over there. So we view the world over here and we think, oh yeah, that's the way it is. But because we, the board is in the way, we can't see over there. So we're always seeing things from one side and not in a full round way as it is. So the mere wisdom, that, that the pragya uh, the of the mere wisdom is to see everything just as it is. When the transformation takes place, the ego, manas, becomes the wisdom of equality. Everything is seen equally. This is horizontal. In a horizontal way, everything is, trees, birds, you and me, we're all the same. And we are all the same. We all have the same basic Buddha nature. We all have the same nature of, as emptiness. We're all totally interdependent and the same. When the sixth consciousness is turned, it's called the wisdom of um, differentiation, where, which is vertical because it's hierarchical. Everything in the world exists hierarchically. All the elements are hierarchical. If you look at a, 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 a uh, flower on a stem, all the parts are called the hierarchy. People don't like hierarchy, you know, because it, it, it gives them the impression of the boss, you know, and the underlings, <laughs> right? So people say, hierarchy, no, we don't want hierarchy. But it, you cannot get away from hierarchy because one thing is here and another thing is here. Everything exists that way. So hierarchy or seeing everything as it is in its hierarchy and understanding how everything fits together hierarchically and seeing how everything is the same uh, equally and right as this, this is where the horizontal and vertical meet is called mind it's called now and here, and it, <laughs> this is it, on moment by moment. Moment by moment we experience the vertical and the horizontal. Moment by moment, everything exists in this way. And so the wisdom is to see the vertical in the horizontal and the horizontal in the vertical. To see the equality of all unequal things and the inequality of all equal things. And then, 
when the six senses are turned, that consciousness is turned, it's called um, the wisdom of appropriate action. Because we have the wisdom of seeing everything as it is, the wisdom to realize the equality, and the wisdom to see how everything fits together in inequality and act according to that understanding. That's acting according to prajna, wisdom. So that's what we, my interpretation, <laughs> my humble interpretation of how we consider what is wisdom. And, wis and that wisdom uh, elicits faith and faith uh, upholds that wisdom and enlightenment is nothing but faith and uh, appropriate action. And um, uh, effort, um, just the right effort. We, it, the, um, um, conservation of energy, appropriate with action, appropriate um, uh, effort is the conservation of energy. Just the right amount of effort to do the work. You don't, it's not too much, it's not too little, it just fits the situation. That's prajna. And then mindfulness um, means always coming back to reality truth, as um, Gil said, it, it's always, it's the truth, always coming back to reality or truth when we stray. And it's also samadhi, as um, Max said moment by moment, uh, mindfulness to samadhi. So that's my little spiel for today. I want to say something about samadhi. I hope I'm, it's five o'clock, but I'll say it anyway. We should be very careful about samadhi. My teacher never mentioned the word samadhi. I mean, I don't say he never mentioned it. He never said, anything about you should get into samadhi. Uh, he was very careful because anything that leads us to want something nice is a problem. <laughs> you know, it, oh, is she in samadhi? Am I in samadhi? Did I experience samadhi? Whoa, you know, you get into gaining mind in that way. Samadhi is none of your business. Samadhi is just samadhi. It's none of your business. If it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. If you think, I'm, I'm sitting down in order to relax, or I'm sitting down in order to feel um, uh, serene, or composed, whatever, and then is when you're not feeling that way, if 
when it doesn't turn out that way, then everything else you feel is wrong. The state of mind of a Zen student in and uh, Zazen is no special state of mind. There is no special state of mind. Every state of mind is the right state of mind. It's also the wrong state of mind. It doesn't matter. It's not right or wrong, but it's the correct state of mind. The correct state of mind is whatever's there. And when we can accept and be with whatever's there, that's the correct state of mind. And it just happens to be samadhi. It's not picking and choosing. This is the hard lesson. It's really the hard lesson. Because we prefer and uh, Zazen is no preference. No preference, no ego. What is it that prefers? What prefers is our ego, our sense, our self. So we need a self, you know. We need, we need to have a self. You know, there's you and there's me, and, you know, we act out in this way, right? So if there wasn't any, there wouldn't be anybody to relate to. <laughs> but uh, sometimes the self is like a dog on a chain. <laughs> um, you know, there's a nice story, you know, one of my favorite stories about the ox and the, and the, uh, the student and the, the, the monk and the ox. Master Isan, famous ma Chinese uh, master, was on Man Isan, where he taught. And the monk uh, said, I lived on Mount Isan for 30 years. I um, ate Isan's food, and I shit Isan's shit. And I, all I did was tend to a water buffalo. He was an unruly fellow. He would dash off into people's fields and trample their crops and after pulling back, you know, and then he would go over here and bother so-and-so and I'd have to whip him. And, and, um, and then every once in a while, when whoever went by and said hello to him, he'd follow them off, you know. Just. But after, after, after a long period of time, now he just, stands in front of my face, and even if I try to, it's an adorable thing, even though I try to push him out of the way, he won't go. So, that's a nice story. <laughs> um, Alan Sanaki told me that that's a story about me and my dog. <laughs> it's true, true story. So I'd like to do these more, but you know we don't have time. I'm going to leave. Max and I are leaving. Max will come back tomorrow. And um, I'm sorry I have to leave, but I have to session tomorrow. No, yeah, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. I have to start session for our six-week practice period. So I'm sorry about that.
But it's been great being with all of you. I really enjoyed this whole thing tremendously. And I've learned a lot. I don't know what I learned. But I know I, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, know I learned a lot. Um, and uh, I enjoyed talking to everybody. I liked all the interviews. And uh, got getting, and I, you know, there's things that I don't, that I miss, you know, like working with people that I can see are, are uh, is having an effect, you know, and I want to see that through, but I can't. <laughs> so, uh, but um, I hope that um, there was some effect from my being here. And um, you're all welcome to come, you know, and visit the Berkeley Sendo anytime. And uh, I'll be back. <laughs> As General MacArthur said. <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs>